16, 1 to 13. Is that working? Okay. Luke 16, verse 1 to 13. Now, before we read this passage, just a comment. This is one of the passages where if you don't look at the context of what Jesus is saying here, you can misinterpret really easily. And many people have. Take, for instance, just glance down at verse 9. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, that verse has been used by people who are unscrupulous just to tell people, give us your money. Or that the church can use money that it gets from anywhere to do anything. It's been misused. It's a great example of eisegesis. Making the scriptures say what it's not saying. And so we really need to be careful to see what the Lord is saying here. It's not an easy passage to understand, but it's not hard to understand. So, let's look at it. Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 1 to 13. Now Jesus was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking away the management from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began to say to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he was acting shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I read a really interesting article this past week called Split Level Christianity. And it was an article specifically about Filipino culture. Now, the Filipinos among us, I'm not getting at you guys. It was an article about Filipino culture and the way many Filipinos are Catholic in religion, 
but they hold at the same time to all kinds of traditional things like um, having deities in the home or um, feasts that are not specifically Christian in origin. Um, doing things which seem to be contra Christianity. Now, they're not alone in that. Many cultures do that. We do too. Split-level Christianities. What do I mean by that? Well, it's like having two families living in the same building, one floor above the other. But they don't talk to each other at all. They live there, but they don't speak to each other. Sometimes with our Christian beliefs, we have the same thing. We believe one thing, but we practice another. The two don't seem to meet. And Jesus is speaking about this because he noticed this in the Pharisees and he was also warning his disciples against this type of living before him. Believing one thing, practicing another. You see, we need to understand what this word allegiance is all about. It comes from the old French word where allege was someone who was your lord and the master. And as a servant you would serve that master alone. And if you didn't in those days, you usually lost your head. But Jesus is saying here, split allegiance is no allegiance at all. You cannot serve two masters and be loyal to both at the same time. And the framework around that is, if you glance back at chapter 15, where Jesus was speaking to the tax collectors and the sinners. And when the Pharisees noticed that he was mixing with sinners, they got really upset. You see, they knew the truth about those who were lost. And yet when Jesus was practicing taking the gospel to those, living among those people, these ones who are supposed to be the religious leaders got upset. They had split level belief. They believed one thing in their heads. On the ground, they practiced another thing. We see the evidence of that at the end. Just glance a little bit ahead to chapter 16, verse 14, where once Jesus speaks to them about um, this passage, the Pharisees and the lovers of money scoffed at him. You see, Jesus was pointing to something which was glaring in their lives. So, what can we learn from them? Now, just one thing I need to clarify here too. When Jesus tells this parable about this master who had this, this uh, manager, Jesus is not the manager. Jesus is not the master. Because there are some who have misconstrued this passage as well. He is not the master here. He is telling a parable about a master and a servant. Or a master and a manager. Jesus is not the one who is the master here. And so when these expressions are made concerning this money, it's not Jesus saying this, it's the manager saying, it's the master saying things about his manager. The point of the parable is what's important. What is the point of the parable? The point of the parable, and I'm putting that ahead of us here, is Jesus says, the world is more shrewd at looking after its own interests than many believers or followers of Christ are about looking after their spiritual interests on earth. That's the point of it. And I'll expand on that as we come back to it. We're going to look at this, this um, passage in two parts. Verses 1 to 8 is the parable that Jesus tells and then the lesson he draws from it in the remaining verses. 
So what is this parable about the rich man, the rich master and his manager? You see, in those days, Jesus says there was a rich man who owned a large estate and he seemed to have made his money from subletting his big estate to others who would farm various crops on it. And the way they paid this master was when they sold their crops, they would give him a percentage of the money or they would give him a percentage of the crops produced on his big estate. And to be able to manage all this, he appoints a manager because it's a vast estate. He doesn't want to be put up, he doesn't want to have to be hands on with this. And so he appoints a manager and this was often done by rich um, masters. He appoints this manager who is to negotiate the transactions between these people who are growing these crops and also to gather in the income for, on behalf of the master. Generally, managers and masters would do this because they um, didn't want to have to do with this themselves and also they probably didn't want to know how much money was being asked. And many times it was just, I don't want to know, just give me my money. That was the type of attitude that was around. In this case, the manager that's appointed is a bit of a bad apple. And Jesus says he was a dishonest one. And so he was charging exorbitant interest. And this was a common practice among the managers of the time. They would say the master wants this and I am going to charge interest of this and it was exorbitant and that was the total amount that the producer had to pay. And they didn't have an option or they could look for somewhere else to go. They just had to do it. But then it comes to the landowner's ears that his manager is squandering his money. Now, the important thing to notice here is that it came to him publicly. It's a bit like the politicians today. If you don't raise something in public, they tend not to do much about things. But when you raise a matter publicly, then they're forced to do things, right? To save face or to stay in their party. And so it comes to the, manager, the, the master's ears publicly. Someone says, your manager is corrupt. He's misusing your money. What are you going to do about it? Now, in the Near Eastern mindset, to save face is very important. And so to save face in this instance, he's got to get rid of this manager and do so publicly. And that would be done at the city gates. He would recall the manager there. He'd say to him, bring me my books publicly and I will go through it with you and you are going to give an account of your life, how you've been managing my books. Now, it calls to mind of something else that's going to happen one day, doesn't it? When we are going to be called to account before our Lord, it's going to be a public affair too. But I'm not digressing down there now. He calls his manager to account publicly. Now, this manager thinks to himself, how am I going to get out of this pickle? I'm too office bound, I've got little office hands, and so I can't dig because I might get blisters. And uh, I can't go begging on the streets because I'll lose face. Eastern mindset, very important. So what do I do? And so he thinks, because he's a shrewd manager, well, I'll use the one resource that I know, and that is my master's clients. I know them really well. And so he has a plan. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll call them in one by one, and I'll go through and I'll fiddle the books. 
And so that's what he does. He calls through the account holders one at a time. He has the bill opened and he says to them, now this wasn't done in public by the way, this was done in secret. He says to them one at a time, open your bull. How much do you owe my master? And they would say, a hundred gallons of whatever it was. And he would then say, all right, quickly, in your own hand, change that as if you've paid to a lesser amount. And what was he doing? He was taking off the amount that he added in interest. You see, because if he did that, his master would still get what was owing to him. You see what he's doing? He was being shrewd. And so he does that with his master's clients. Now, why was he doing that? He wasn't doing that because he knew that if he did this, he would keep his job. He knew he was going to lose his job anyway. He was doing that to save face publicly, to show that he could be a shrewd manager, to keep his master's money, but also to add up a little pension for himself. Because he knew he was going to get fired and if he got into the good books of these people, they would look after him. So, if you, I saved you money, then when I needed something, you owe me one, right? And so he would be able to be looked after in their homes. And that's why he did this. Don't point fingers at this guy. Sometimes we do the same thing. Bit of tit for tat. And so, that's what he does. And in that way, when the, manage, when the master looked at his books, when the books were examined, he had not lost any income. And what does he do? He commends this manager publicly for being a shrewd manager. Now, please note, this is not Jesus commending the dishonest manager. Please note, it's been misused too, too often. Jesus is not saying here that it justifies using money dishonestly. Some people have said that of Christianity. This is what Jesus says. How can I follow that? No, it is the manager in the parable saying, this is a shrewd manager. You kept my clients happy and therefore I did not lose face publicly. You are a shrewd manager. Did he get his job back? No, but he was commended for being shrewd. Who of you remember the um, recent event in London where that bank was robbed by those bunch of old guys? All right. Now, Many people said, man, that was quite clever. But were any of them recommended for Distinguished Service Medals? No. It was clever, but that's it. And that's what this manager's, the, the, the master's doing. He's commending this guy for being clever. Nothing more. Now, why does Jesus use this parable in this way? Well, let's look what, what Jesus says. Verse 8. His master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now Jesus explains this. He says, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. What's Jesus commenting here? He's saying, The people of this earth, the ones who are unsaved, know how to look after themselves really well. They know how to feather their own nests on this earth. Much more so, he says, than many believers know how to feather their eternalness. In other words, how to look after themselves for eternity. In other words, using the resources God has given them for eternal ends. Using the means God has given them for eternal ends. 
Jesus is in a way warning his disciples and saying, you would follow me, you need to know how to use the means I've given you to look to eternity. You are to use the resources, they, they might be few, to feather your nest eternally. Use them for eternity's sake. Be as shrewd as those on earth who can look after themselves. And he's going to elaborate that. And he builds a case here. This came to light to me really well when Jason Birkin, this missionary that we um, support in the Philippines, wrote a letter recently. Listen to what he says. Our time in New Zealand went very quickly and we found it more difficult to leave our family behind. The comforts of New Zealand and family make it difficult physically for us to leave, but higher things, things of an eternal nature, spur us on in the work that is yet to be finished in regards to Bible translation for the Talaandic people. Do you see what he's saying? He's looking eternally. And yes, it's, it tears him up to leave his family behind in New Zealand and to go to the Philippines and to work there. But he knows there's a greater cause here. I need to go and do what God wants me to do because it is for the sake of eternity I'm doing this. The Talaandic people need to hear and therefore I'm willing to pay the sacrifice. What a mindset, you see. You see, these Pharisees saw Jesus mixing with the sinners but their eternal mindset was not there. They only saw what he was doing right there and then. They weren't seeing eternity. They weren't seeing lost people saved for eternity. They were seeing Jesus mixing with sinners. That's it. And Jesus warns his Pharisees. He says, don't you be like that. You are going to follow me around. You're going to have to, give, you're going to, have to take up your crosses and follow me. But see the eternal perspective in this. Do this for my sake and for eternity's sake. When you interact with people, when you share your meager resources with people, when you come into people's homes and you make friends with them, do it for eternity's sake. When they invite you into their homes and they share meals with you in the villages, remember, do things for eternity's sake. That's what Jesus is pointing to in his, in his disciples. Make friends. He says, verse 9, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. What's he talking about? You see, these disciples had to live in such a way that others too would believe. And that when they believed, they would be received, once these disciples left this earth behind, they would be received in heaven by those who had gone before them possibly, who had come to belief because of what the way they had lived on this earth. Do you see the perspective here? You see, Jesus is saying to them that their resources are to be used not for selfish, but for generous use for the kingdom. And there's a great lesson there for you and I too. You see, we are to use our Resources, I use that with quotation marks, right? Because are they ours? No. They are resources God has gifted to us. We are to be using our resources, whatever that is, whether it's time, money, skills, we are to use them for the sake of the kingdom. That's to be our perspective. You see, many times in this world, we just think of me, myself and I, and how I can use 
what is mine. Very quickly, by the way we spend, by the way we use our time, it's speaking about me, myself and I. Jesus is saying, use your resources for the sake of the kingdom. That is to be your eternal perspective. And that's why I was really encouraged when as a little church together, and we're not a well-off church, as a, as a little church we could get all this money together to send sewing machine, to buy sewing machines in India so that others could reach the king, others for the kingdom. I found that so encouraging as a pastor, how God moved people's hearts to resource others to reach people for his sake. That was amazing. That's the perspective Jesus is speaking about. And so you and I might have to go without a few things but we know that 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 I've put aside can be used so that others could be reached for the kingdom. You see, our perspective is to be His kingdom being built up. People being reached for eternity. We are to be good stewards. But good stewardship itself is not an end in itself. You see, there are many churches today who have got very good bank accounts. They're all in the plus. I know one or two churches like that down in Wellington. And they fame themselves in these good, healthy accounts that they have. But when you look around, you ask them, so how are you involved in the community? Well, they do a few odds and ends and the building's been improved and it's beautiful buildings. Wooden work inside, beautiful organs, pipe organs. But you say, how are you involved in the community? How are you, what is the eternal perspective here? There's not much of that you see. They've lost perspective. And sometimes I glory in the fact that God gives us only a little bit in this church. And you can speak to our treasurer. At the end of every year, we kind of, we just get there. But God is faithful. He's never not given us enough. But we need to keep that perspective. Looking to the Lord and using the resources He gives us for the sake of the kingdom then God will look after us. What does he say in verse 10? And there's a bit of a sting in this, what Jesus is saying here, as he usually was when Jesus was teaching. Verse 10, what does he say? He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. You see, Jesus is not just speaking about money here. He's not just saying, if you are faithful with the little bit of money I give you, then you will be faithful with more. He's speaking about much wider than that. If you are faithful with all of the resources that I give you, you will be faithful with so much more. But if you aren't faithful with the little bit I give you, how can you be faithful with even more? Do you see what he's saying? So, what about those little things in your life and mine? What about the time you spend for your employer? Do you use that faithfully for the Lord? Or do you misspend that time when they're not looking? What about your actions and mine when no one's looking? How do we spend that time? Are we faithful with that time that God has given to us? Or do we squander it with doing all kinds of things that it's better that others don't see what we are doing? What about those shortcuts? What about those cash jobs? 
when we know we should be declaring all the income, but we kind of do this as a cash job and it can kind of go under the table. Well, that's being unfaithful with the little things. God is saying if you're unfaithful with the little things, how will you be faithful with more? What about at work? Faithfulness to your wife. Men, that flirting that sometimes happens between office staff. Well, that's a facelessness in the small things which are major in the end. If we are faithful in the small things, we will be faithful in the larger things. And then he carries on, verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? You see, God gives you and I resources, right? Let's take money for an example because it's fairly pointed there, but it's not all. If we, use, if we can't use that money faithfully, how will God entrust other precious treasure to us? If we can't handle just mere money properly, why would God in, entrust to us bringing someone to the Lord? which is a treasure to him. You see, he's, he's speaking about faithfulness in the small things. And you might be wondering, why is the Lord not using me more in my life? Well, go and look at your life and look at those little things and ask yourself, how am I using those things before the Lord? Am I being faithful? Because you will most probably find that there's an area in your life where you need to be taking to the Lord and saying, I haven't been using this properly before you. Lord, I want to serve you fully. I want to have that eternal perspective on my life. I'm living a split-level life, Lord. What about your tithing? We're on money, I might as well speak about that now. Are you faithful to the Lord in giving back to Him a little of what He gives to you in plenty? Or do you think, ah, it's alright, others will. Nah, no one will notice. Are you faithful in the little things? Because if you are, God will give you bigger things to work with. That's not saying if you tithe, by the way. I'm saying this openly, it's being recorded. I'm not saying that if you tithe, God will give you plenty more money and a Mercedes Benz. I'm not saying that. That's not what this passage is teaching. And some people have used this to say that. We're not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, if you are faithful in the little things, God will give you bigger things to work with. Things of eternal value. Things with great treasure, which are a great treasure to Him. We are to be faithful in the small things if He is to trust us with bigger things. Look at what He says, verse 12 and 13. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now there's a double thing here. If you can't even handle a little bit of the resources that God has given you, why would He give you any more? Now, uh, I have to be careful how I say this, but I can say this because my daughter's not here anymore. One of my children and you probably have teenagers like this too, their money burns a hole in their pocket, right? And I suppose we're all, we can all be a bit like that. You can't keep two cents rubbing together. They've got to be given out. Or two notes in our case. Saving just doesn't feature. 
And so as soon as she got money, it was gone on something. You might even be like that. I might even be like that. Speak to my wife. But you see, what the Lord is saying here is, if we can't even handle what doesn't belong to us, what's been given to us, why would He give us more of our own things? There's a twist here. Why would He give us real treasure? And then Jesus comes in with his punchline in verse 13. Because no servant, he says, can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, his punchline is, you can't serve two masters at the same time. Your heart can only have one master. You cannot serve both at the same time, and love them the same. You will either hate the one and love the other, and it's speaking about the heart, or leading to your actions, you will either be devoted or you will hold on to one and despise, which speaks about pushing away the other. Do you see the difference? You will either be drawn and hold on to the one because your heart is right with them, or if your heart is wrong, you will hate them and push them away. That is how we as human beings work. It's one or the other. There are no double agents in God's economy. You can't work for both sides at the same time. You can't be a split level Christian. Jesus says, choose who you serve today. It's 100% faithfulness to me at all levels in your life or serve another. He's saying, if you don't serve me, there's an idol in your life. Well then, bow down to that idol. But it's not the idol and me. It's 100% serving me at all levels of your life. Now, I'm convicted by that. Because I know, examining my own life, I can truthfully say, I'm not there yet. There are areas that I've really got to bring under the mastery of Jesus Christ. He is my liege. He is my master. But there are some areas of my life that I'm serving another. Lord, forgive me. How about your life? And I know this side of eternity, it will always be something that you and I will struggle with. It's that pulling between two masters. We like that crow, we get split if we don't watch out. Is that the type of life we want to lead? A life torn apart daily because my head, my eyes are not set on Jesus Christ alone. My whole life doesn't line up behind Jesus Christ. Walking in His footsteps, I keep getting pulled apart by these other masters. Do you have one master only? Are you investing the treasures, the resources He has given to you behind your Master only? Are you investing in eternity now? That's what He's saying to us. I want to just close this with three questions to you this morning. The first one is this. Do you use, and I use the word your, do you use your worldly wealth and resources to make everlasting friends? 
What do you do with the resources God has given you? Do you deliberately use them to make everlasting friends? To reach out to others with the gospel message? Do you use them for eternal means? Or are you perhaps chasing after temporary riches? Are you investing in eternity or are you investing in this earth? Some of us are really good at shares and all kinds of things on this earth. But am I taking out shares in heaven at the same time? Is my life out of balance? Sometimes we spend so much energy and money on this earth without thinking about what's to come. We need to be looking ahead in the way we live our lives. Are you using your worldly wealth and resources to make everlasting friends? Matthew chapter 6 puts a bit of perspective on this. Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21. Listen to what the Lord says here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where floods overcome, we can say. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Here it is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I was really humbled this couple of weeks ago when helping Sandra and Trev at their house, sifting through the stuff we were putting into the skip. Sandra had put out this tarp and all that was left of all their possessions was a few little odds and ends on a tarp, covered in mud. And I thought, that really sums up what this life's about in a way. Because sometimes we put all our energy into getting as much things on this earth. But in the end, what's it going to be reduced to? Nothing. Because we cannot take anything with us to heaven. Nothing. And so all those gadgets I've put all my money into, all those... I don't, I don't want to go down here. Convicting. <laughs> vehicles. Think of, think of the money that goes into all these things. Houses, vehicles, gadgets, tools. All the stuff. We spend all that money and in the end it's reduced to nothing because I cannot take it with me. The only thing which lasts is that which I've invested in eternally. That will carry on through. And so I need to start living eternity now. That's the perspective, Jesus says. I need to start living eternity now. Instead of spending all my resources on these temporary things, I need to be living eternity now. Invest in things which will have an eternal benefit. And so, the second question is, are we faithful with what we have so that we can receive something even better? Do you get that? If we are faithful with what the Lord has given us now, He will give us something even better. I'm not speaking about more money. I'm speaking about eternal riches. He will give us something even better. You might be used by the Lord to bring someone else to Him. And that is a real treasure on your heart. That is an eternal gift that the Lord gives you. But how we manage the little things are the real test of character when no one is looking. How do we manage those things? Thirdly, do not make money your master. It's a choice. 
It's a deliberate thing you have to do. You've got to say to yourself, I will not allow my wealth, my resources to master me. I only have one master and he is Jesus Christ. He is the one I'll serve with everything I have, with all my resources. I need to bring myself consciously under the mastery of Jesus Christ. I've got to consciously and deliberately do that. How do I do that? Here's how. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 3 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Jesus Christ, set your sights, there's a start, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Heaven's not just an airy-fairy idea that's out there. Heaven is a reality facing us. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ now sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. There's the second thing. I need to set my sights on heaven in reality and then think about heavenly things as I'm going through my day. Think about those things. Capture those thoughts for Jesus Christ. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Why? For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you get that? You want eternal treasures? Then set your sights on Him and guard your thoughts and set your thoughts on heavenly things. And that way you'll get heavenly treasures. You see, we need to get a heavenly perspective. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 speaks about we are sojourners and exiles on this earth. We need to be reminded of that more, more often when we see piles of stuff starting to surround us. You know where the moment of conviction comes? It's when you get a removal truck to move you from one place to the other. <sighs> because every time it's a bigger truck. Hardly ever is it a smaller truck. Remember who you are. You are sojourners and exiles. You see, it's only when we have the sense of detachment from the things of earth that we can give our all to God. I'm going to repeat that phrase. It's only when we have a sense of detachment from the things of earth that we can give our all to God. We are to be detached from this earth. That doesn't mean I've got to live with my head in the clouds and not be of any earthly use either. I am to just to have an earthly, a heavenly perspective on the work that God gives me on this earth. And then He will use me for Him. But don't hold on to those things. Don't clutch those things so quickly. That hymn we're going to sing, sing at the end of the service is, says this, Riches I chase not, nor man's empty praise, you my inheritance now and always. There's our eternal perspective, you see. And so I ask you this morning as I close, do you have a single-hearted allegiance to Jesus Christ? A single-hearted allegiance to Him? Or is there another master or God in your life? Maybe your work, maybe your achievements in this life, maybe your home life takes a bigger role in your life, maybe your family plays a bigger role in your life than what God does, maybe a relationship, maybe your career, maybe the chasing after pleasure is your God before God. You see, if you're not single-hearted, then like that crow, you'll be torn in two. 
daily you'll be torn into and you'll live a split level Christian life. You'll be ineffective for the Lord and the world will reject you because they'll see straight through you. I'm going to mention Rachel's name here because she is here. But part of her testimony and why she was coming to the Lord, she said, I don't want to be like some of the people I know who say they're Christians, but they don't live like Christians. The world rejects us when we say one thing and we live another way. Split-level Christianity. We need to have an eternal perspective. And then we will live single focus. Remember this, uh, I can't remember who it was lying here. We need to have a single focus on the Lord. We are not trying, we, are, we can't live in two worlds at the same time when it comes to our perspective on heaven. It's Jesus Christ or nothing. We have to live in the continuum of eternity. And eternity starts when? Now. If you're a believer, you've already started living eternally. Have you ever thought about that? I might die, but my spirit carries on living. I am living eternally now. Live eternity now. Have that perspective. And then God will use you. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God. And obey it. Let's pray. Lord our Heavenly Father, thank you for this timely reminder that we are to have a single focus on you. Lord, we live in this world, we, we are tempted by the pleasures of this world, all the attractions of this world, all the things for sale every day around us. But Lord, help us to keep an eternal perspective on the resources you've given to us and on our lives before you. Lord, help us to use every bit of resource you've given to us, whether it's money, time or energy. Use it for the sake of Jesus Christ and reaching others for the gospel's sake. And Lord, save us from making ourselves so comfortable on this earth that we are of no earth, no heavenly use. Lord, use us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Use us for the sake of building up your kingdom so that others would hear and see that Jesus lives in me. We pray this in your name, Lord, and through the strength that your Holy Spirit gives us to obey you. Amen.